Hey, Afronauts. I'm Jill Tu. I'm Chelsea Gaiden. I'm Beatrice Eicher. And welcome to the Afronauts podcast, a mood for the culture and the future. We provide speculative writing encouragement, resources, and entertainment. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can find us at Afronauts Pod on Ko-fi or check the link in our Twitter profile. Today, we're discussing community with our guest co-hosts, the absolutely Afro-surreal minds behind Voodoo Knots. The Voodoo Knots are a community space and generative writing workshop and fellowship committed to cultivating the artistic and professional growth of Black science fiction and fantasy writers. Thank you all so much for joining us. Yvette Lisa and Lovu, H.D. Hunter, Shingai and Jerry Kagunda, and L.P. Kindred. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it's it. such an honor to be here. Oh, thank you, guys. We are hyped. Okay, so first question. What is everyone's go-to writing beverage? Sweet tea. <laughs> Sweet tea. I usually have a rooibos, which is the Southern African red tea. It's really good. Um, yeah, I would go for masala tea and sometimes wine. We got a lot of tea drinkers. Yeah, y'all are y'all are like some real writers for real. For real. <laughs> I I be drinking water. Uh, I have my little cup of water because if I don't sit it on my desk, then I probably won't drink it at all throughout the day. So sounds like me. Yeah. It'd be right here. I still don't be drinking it, but <laughs> I stay hydrated. It's there. Yeah. What do y'all like to drink? Well, when I'm not drinking, not drinking water. <laughs> I'm, I drink coffee. I'm more like a coffee person. But when I'm actually like into writing, I'm not drinking anything. Like I'm just dehydrated and drafting. <laughs> just shriveled. shriveled yeah, just like withering away. No. You need a t-shirt with that. This is dehydrating and drafting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Viral. That's good. Yeah, I, I'm coffee too, but I do, yeah, if I, I'm writing at night, I do the rooibos too, actually. That's my, like, go-to mm. evening drink, yeah. I am a morning writer, and so I'm drinking coffee. My absolute favorite right now is cinnamon dolce. That sounds yummy. It is. Mm. It is. <laughs> very good. Very, very good. You add, like, whipped cream, anything uh, fancy? Well, I add a few syrups. I add oh, nice. Uh, classic caramel syrup, brown sugar cinnamon syrup, and I just got a pumpkin spice syrup that I really like. You're so fancy. Yeah. That sounds like liquid sugar. Um, it's sugar free. <laughs> Leave me alone. All right, I'm doing my best. Oh well, yeah, you're drinking something at no least. No one up for this dragging. What's going on? We're talking about. <laughs> I fully support you. Okay. <laughs> a little, a little coffee in their, a little coffee in their sugar. I think. For oh, okay. Let me, let, me, let me tell you something about. Let me tell you something about Shingai. <laughs> because Let's hear I love it. my sis. I love my sis. I love my nibbling. But, uh, you know, Sibs loves. Uh, uh, so me and Shin were at Clarion this summer, and so we spent a lot of time together this summer. Um, the only person I spent more time with was Matt because Matt lives next door, lived next door to me, and so you know we would we would find ourselves imbibing together. You know what I'm saying? And so Shin sent people to the store to buy this chocolate whiskey. It was Cho- peanut butter whiskey. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? It was, it, no, it must be, and I sat by it. Look, you need to sit down. <laughs> Peanut butter whiskey. Did you, did you put it in like a cocktail or just drink it straight? Like drink no, it neat? No, like huh. so. I don't like whiskey, and you know, like the Baxter that you should love your whiskey. <laughs> whiskey was the first drink I drank, I think. Really? I think yeah. no, wait, no, it was tequila. But then whiskey. This ain't whiskey. This ain't yeah. whiskey. Tequila fan. Yeah, just the baton starting off. <laughs> <laughs> Jump right in. <laughs> Yeah, tequila for your first time is a, that's that's a choice. That's a yeah. Yeah. Old. I, I stand by it. I'm proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> Somebody how is. Did you, how did you even find out that peanut butter whiskey existed? Yeah. Did you just find out? No, I'm yes. asking you how yeah. you found out. <laughs> I didn't know about it until now. Actually. Yeah, I've never. Yeah, heard I, 
Because it's disgusting. Oh, oh, right. She asked me, did I just find out like I'm supposed to have an own this? I'm trying to imagine all those flavors together and the math is not matching. <laughs> the match is not matching. The math is not mathing. I I really need everyone who um, who indulges in environments to try mm-hmm. peanut butter whiskey and tell me what they think because <laughs> I'll try this is our homework assignment, I think. Okay. Yeah, for this episode. We'll report back. I'm gonna need some water by my side with that though. That just sounds like Are you gonna drink it. I'm gonna drink it. I gotta stay hydrated though. Or you have it with cold milk or with hot cocoa. Look, look at the faces. Look at the faces. (laughs) You know you're wrong when. Whiskey and milk. That's just wow. What a great okay. I'm gonna pivot. On that note. (laughs) On that note, uh, as a 2022 Voodoo Knots Fellowship alum. I can personally attest to the community y'all are helping to build. And uh, mm-hmm. this episode is all about community building. Um, some of my voodoo babies, as we call ourselves, we have a meetup. We've met a few times. We just met this past uh, Sunday. Um, and I've got a few, several, I've got several new beta readers and CPs. Um, I'm sure y'all have a lot of dreams about what you can do in the future, but I'd like to take a moment and reflect on what you've built already. Um, So what has been the most rewarding and challenging parts of Voodoo Knots Fellowship? Um, I guess I'm going to (laughs) go. I I think one of the most rewarding parts of Voodoo Knots Fellowship is having folks like Beatrice come in and just share how this work has impacted them and the community honestly like that's that's the biggest thing like every voodoo knots right before it happens there's a couple of months where we're like struggling to get it done and we're like fighting with ourselves (laughs) to be you know on top of all the shit that we need to be on top of for it to be what we desire it to be for for black people across the diaspora and then when we have the actual sessions and people show up and we're present with each other and there's conversations about what it means to be a black writer in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, in Chicago, in you know the Caribbean, wherever it is across the world, that makes everything feel worth it. And it just, that space, it's what we're imagining. It feels like we're, we're manifesting what we're imagining for a black and Afrofuturist future. Yeah, like Shingai said, like the most rewarding part is like seeing so many talented black people from all over the world just in one space. It's just so beautiful to see. Like I think we you know we had fellows from like Guyana this year, Norway, you know, people from Atlanta. So it's just like all of us in this one space is so beautiful to see. And always on the continent. We always have people on the continent. Like, I think our, we're, we're growing in a very cool way. We're like, we've had people throughout the Caribbean and like, again, Guyana, uh, interested in seeing what it would look like to get some actual Black Brits, maybe some more like Black South Americans. But like, I think it's process and progress. I think we're like, we're also, the, one of the other things is that like, sometimes the, the applications come in <laughs> and we're like, um, you are a PhD student. What am I going to teach you? But, uh, you know, it, part of it is just community and part of it is looking at things in a different way. Um, uh, you, you know, like Shingai and Yvette are Afro-surrealists. They're academics. Like they approach teaching in one way. Hugh and I, I don't know what to call us besides Afro-futurists at times, but like we're approaching it from a different way. But like what ends up happening is that people who come to the sessions find access through a lot of different ways. So whatever way you learn, we're gonna find a way to get to you. Um, and also just like, it's, it, and that part is really powerful because people walk away with ideas to work on to move, like they leave with things to write mm-hmm. or they leave with something they started and like there's yeah. work to move from there. And then on top of that, in the past couple of years, we've gotten better about creating community space. So like Beatrice said, you know, we can, people can leave that situation and go straight to the discord and have a bi-weekly meetup uh about the work or reading 
clubs, reading book clubs. There we go, book clubs, and like you know, they can they can find ways to coordinate and enjoy each other. And I, I'm super proud of that. And I want I'm excited about some of the older fellows uh, finding their way through the Discord so that they can like come and do what the newest people are doing because that injection of new blood uh, can transform a, a conversation. What you yeah. said, oh, you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, I think y'all said it all really. And I didn't know, I didn't know how much it meant to people. Like, you know, we get feedback in real time but this, before this previous class, I was going through evaluations, like post-program evaluations from previous years. And like LP said, you know, we're getting feedback from people that have MFAs, PhDs, have been published so many times over, have been all around the world doing writing stuff. And, you know, the feedback is, this is the, this is the best space that I've ever been in. And I don't know, I think it really hit me in the heart in a different way because it's not about like the clout. It's not about the the name brand necessarily, right? It's really about the people and the intention and the mm -hmm. quality of the experience. And as Shangai was saying, I think that's something that we know and we believe because we put it into the work, but to really see it coming back out on the other side. Um, I don't I don't know if there's anything more rewarding than that. Like I don't know if there's anything that we could expect. <laughs> that would be more rewarding than that. I, I wanted to ask about that point too, um, the point you just made, Hugh, and, and what you just said, LP, about the PhD students that um, you're like, well, what is there to learn? I could imagine that folks, especially that have been successful in those more traditional routes might have felt alienated or isolated in these sort of like predominantly white institutions. So I was kind of curious how you guys think about like the healing that comes with the community and in, in addition to like the workshop and like craft instruction. I mean, we're all coming at it from such different angles, like kind of slight angles, kind of academic angles, kind of like, you know, Hugh's workshop this year, like was one that he'd been kind of gestating for a couple of years, right? And then he figured out a way to like, to, to and I don't know how to talk about it. I want to say anecdotal, I want to say colloquial, but like, it's a, it's a common sense experiential thing that he figured out how to communicate to people it took him a couple of years to do it. And we're so glad that he did because, you know, it, it, it was essentially about, I'm not going to talk about it because you know what, you should have been there. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell the co-host, but I'm not going to tell everybody else because y'all should have been there. That's not my fault. Uh, but, uh, you know, like we, we come at it from so many different ways that like, it doesn't matter, you know, if the academic way is the way that is the end for you, that's great because she got any that come, they're like, okay, I have a hypothesis. I found papers that prove the hypothesis that I have, and now I'm going to show you to you at work. And then I'm going to give you a work, uh, an exercise so that you can use that and synthesize it and make that work. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's, that's the way they think. That's the way. And they can reach our academics that way. And the folks who aren't academics still are able to access it. Do you know what I'm saying? And so the flip of that is like, you and I aren't academics in that way. And so we find ways to communicate our experiences that still causes that light bulb to turn on above people's heads. And so like, I personally get a little intimidated just because like, you know, my beautiful people here, you know, all these people with their terminal degrees, I, wait, I don't know if those are terminal degrees, all these people with master's degrees. And I'm like, you know, I, I didn't even get a BA. Uh, and then like, I get intimidated when people are like, yeah, I've written all these books. I'm a doctor, I'm a, I'm a this, blah, blah, blah. But the reality of it is, we're all looking to find community. We're all looking for a different way to approach the thing. As long as we're all students of writing, we all have something to learn. Um, and so remaining open to that and finding places where, where people can teach you something, because I find that the further you get in your career, there are less places where people can teach you something. Um, like sometimes people try to teach you something and it's like 101 and you're like, I, I don't want a 101 class. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, I'm an MFA student, like sis, I did this. Um, <laughs> But as long as we continue to come with content that is accessible to everyone, as well as bringing something to the table for everyone to learn something, I think we're gonna continue to, I think I'm going to feel okay. I'm the, one, I'm the person I'm, I'm concerned about. Uh, uh, but like, it, it's powerful because it continues to happen. Actually, one of Shingai's instructors last year was one of our, our fellows. Uh, and it was really cool to watch 
them like teach to the person who taught them. Like my undergrad teacher came as a Voodoonauts fellow, which wow. was pretty, pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> it was really yeah. cool. Uh, <laughs> I also quickly wanted to add to that um, comment because like you said, we got a lot of feedback in the the post-workshop um, evaluations that we, we usually send out. And one of the ones that's always stuck with me is that is this is what an MFA should be. Um, someone said that about Voodoonauts. And it was mm. like, we do this in like three to five days. <laughs> an MFA is two to three years. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you are saying that this is giving you more than what an MFA possibly has or could give. And me and Yvette, having both been in MFAs, I completely understand where that sentiment is coming from because I think the thing about Voodoonauts is that it gives back to us as well Mm. like just being in that space having black community storytellers like that's (laughs) that's a privilege and it's it it feeds you it feeds your writing practice it feeds the work that you're able to create so um I I fully understand <laughs> why creating spaces of community that are for us by us is just as important, if not more so, than doing traditional academia in the ways that it has been presented. Yeah. Yeah, I want to um, add on to you know what uh, both like LP and Shanghai said. I think that's like the beauty of Voodoo Nods is the accessibility. You don't need a PhD to be a Voodoo Nods. You don't need a rec letter from the most famous author on the New York Times bestseller list, you know, you don't need a degree. Um, You know, what we want is, you know, community, you know, do you want to write? Do you want to be in community with other Black people? And that's what's important is your writing and that community aspect. I think a lot of like fellowships are very, you know, inaccessible because you need, you know, a rec letter, you need, you know, an MFA and a degree. And some of the best writers don't have those things. And we don't prioritize that um, at Voodoo Nods. Yeah, I think um, it's cool, like, for me to be in the space with folks who have experiences in in academia that I don't have. And on the flip side, it's kind of like when somebody, we're on two different sides of the same coin. And, like, if somebody explains something to you in a way that you never thought about it before, and you're forced to sort of, like, get out of your own head and think about it from a different perspective, Uh, So, you know, folks may have been traumatized by like the whiteness of the spaces that they've been trying to write through and be Mm -hmm. successful in for their whole lives. And I feel like, you know, I'm grateful to be able to play a role where I can say like, oh, what if that like just didn't matter? You know, like from my experience, because I don't have (laughs) those same experiences, I can frame things in a way that sometimes helps people think like, oh, well, the way that I'm doing things or I thought about doing things is not the only way, even though it feels like it is sometimes. I see this reflection of a journey that looks different enough for mine that I can now pivot and and start to conceptualize success differently, progress differently, feedback differently. Um, And so that feels, that feels, it feels good to be able to be in the space and and to have that to offer to it. Beatrice will probably remember I talked about coming home like a lot during the last fellowship. Um, and that's kind of like what I feel like Voodoo Nats is if you're, <laughs> I mean, you're black cause you're there, but like for, <laughs> for black people, no matter where you go in the world, where your writing takes you and what, who you're surrounded by. Like when you come to Voodoo Nats, you have, you have come home and you will be cared for as if you are home. Yeah. And I think that that's like the, that's the ethos of, of what we want people to feel. Yeah, I was I was gonna say the first thing we did when we were doing introductions at Voodoo Knots, uh, people were so vulnerable with their their past and their their writing past, their life past, their their hopes and their dreams and their fears, like when we first met each other, the very first time we saw each other. And it was so powerful to, to see all of those black faces on my screen. And we were just talking about how difficult it is to be so passionate about something that 
sometimes doesn't feel like it loves you back and it was like a very like intense moment and you talk about coming home that's kind of where I felt like oh we can just like take our coat off take our shoes off and just like hang out because it was there was no it was just I had I had never experienced something like that before so many people being so I mean black people specifically obviously being so open honest and it was it was really special I mean, definitely take your coat off, but also take your shoes off because you're not walking through my house and I'm outside. Okay, shooting. fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that hearing oh, that, oh, go ahead. sorry, sorry. I was just going to say hearing that, that makes it worth it. Like that's, that's what we were talking about. And like hearing that that is people's experience when they come into the space, then it's like, we're doing something right. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yes. Man, I was going to ask you guys, like, what did community mean to you? But it sounds like, like that whole coming home thing, like that sounds like the definition of like true community, you know, like, I don't know. That, that I was like, we should feelings. end the podcast there. That was it. That was the whole <laughs> That's a wrap. We, we did it. We got but it. I do, okay. I do have another question though. So when did you guys first start building community um, with other writers, like especially black writers? Like when did that begin for you guys? Um, for me, it was Voices on Fire. I used to do this event during NaNoWriMo where they were bringing BIPOC folk to come in. Oh, sorry, Fire Magazine, The Black Speculative. They do uh, CNF uh, fiction and poetry, also Black art for the covers, which is really lovely. They're a great group of people, but <clears throat> they did Voices on Fire, which was encouraging BIPOC folk to write uh, short fiction during NaNoWriMo, uh, kind of like as a parallel event. And like, when I was early in my, my my journey, I was connecting with people who were producing. And uh, at the time they had uh, one line Wednesday. And so on Wednesday doing Voices on Fire, people would drop their best lines. And uh, I would squirrel them away and I would put them into, I invite them to a group chat. And it's still, it's very, it's very quiet now, the Mothership Collective. Uh, and then uh, somewhere along the line, I got invited to um, uh, a secret space station. And uh, it was a, that was a pivotal experience for me because there were even more people, more black people who were working in, in writing, whether that was they were publishing, they were querying, they were submitting, they were refining their skills, so on and so forth. And, but that community, you know, it may or may not be a FIA community, right? So like, again, FIA is like, uh, I think of fire like this, and I know like a couple of the founders of fire think of the, of us like this. That we're like kind of spiritual, um, not hierarchy, family. Like we're the, we're the next generation of fire, maybe. Uh, I was gonna that, say cousins. Y'all are like cousins. I mean, maybe like may, cousins. Okay. <laughs> we're definitely in conversation. We definitely have a bunch of fire folk who've come through. You know, voodoo knots, and there's definitely voodoo knots who've come through fire. So like. We definitely feel good about anything that puts us in the same space. Uh, but like I just said all that, I'm going to say a little more. I'm an extrovert and I'm a guy, so I'm going to shut down in just a second. Okay, I promise. Um, but when we started this conversation, uh, I applied to Google Knots as a, as a fellow and got an email from Shingai. She's like, oh, baby, I'm so glad that you want to do this, but you're teaching. You're not, uh, you're not going to be... <laughs> So that happened. And then uh, I was in a room, I was in a chat with Shingai, Yvette and Hugh and like Shingai and Yvette were just gonna like run the thing. They were just gonna do the thing. And like, we were just gonna come in for two hours a piece and teach me and Hugh. Uh, and we were like, uh, I mean, y'all ain't gotta do this, but I mean, we, it's cool. And so what started off with like, as the idea from two, you know, black women in the States from the continent, turn into like this coalition that we built together. And so like, I don't know if they intended for Voodoo Knots to become like a four piece as far as the OGs go, but like, we're like, child, we ain't gonna let y'all do this all by yourself. You crazy, ain't no way. Uh, but we've all, but like we've been community from the beginning. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think like the funniest part is that we started Voodoo Knots without ever meeting in person. Like I met Shingai through a Facebook group chat. I think I met you through Twitter. And then like Shingai introduced us to LP. Um, so it's just like, you know, and we it feels like we've been best friends for years, but we only met in like what 2021? Is that when we finally met? 
Uh, like in we, person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In person. Yeah. We had been friends for like two years before we met in person. Yeah, yeah. But none of us have met you yet. <laughs> I was waiting for that to come out. <laughs> yeah. Yvette, do you want to say more? Yeah, and going back to like the question of like, what does community mean to you? Um, so I'm from Zimbabwe and we have this philosophy of Ubuntu, which like loosely translates to, you know, I am because we are and since we are, therefore I am. And I think Voodoo Knots has become this thing. It's Ubuntu. It would not exist, you know, without the fellows who bring their enthusiasm and generosity every year, as well as like the Coco founders who also like gave you know their time and generosity to you know make this thing uh what it is and i think just like picking up off of that community for me started a black black writing community um i i came from kenya um that's where i'm from so i grew up there did my undergrad there and i did a writing workshop which is called Maiwa in nairobi and that for me was like kind of the beginning of I actually performed spoken word when I was younger so that was not the beginning um and I had a lot of like artists spoken word community in that space um but then the beginning of like fiction writing and and like this is something that I could actually pursue as a career started with Naiwa and then when I moved here it was a lot more isolating because I moved here to do my MFA and you know white institutions with experiences that are so different from your own um and Yvette was a lifeline, that friendship was a lifeline um, because we met when we were both applying to MFAs and we were both international African students. Like, what the fuck is this place and what are we doing? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and we both got into different MFA programs and we still continue our friendship. And we're like, what if we made like we made this accessible to other black folks who haven't gotten this privilege like we know how gatekeepery the system is generally and the fact like i'm always talking about you know that you are here because of the people who have come before you and the people who are coming up around you and that's something that constantly is in the back of my mind um so community wise lp who I met <laughs> through Clarion, <laughs> who I met through Clarion, um, also became a lifeline of a friendship because, you know, we were the Black queer babies of that space. And, and then it just made sense. And I was introduced to Hugh by Yvette and we, we made sense together because we all had our heart in creating a space that felt accessible and was about community and it was about being seen and it was about vulnerability and it was about sharing the most honest version of yourself on the page and with the people who are reading the work that you're creating and creating the work with you oh hearing about how you guys like met virtually like that makes you think of us like the Afronauts. like we all met virtually um kl bird one of our you know our founder he he unfortunately passed um last year um, but he he was the one who like reached out to us and like he had this community, this um, Black writers community, like a Slack channel. And we all met through there. And then we we built the astronauts like together in that community. We still haven't met like like the three of us. Yep. None of us have met. Not <laughs> yet. Not. Yeah. But but it, it does. We're like best That's friends. Incredible. It's, like, it's, it's crazy <laughs> what you can but build with people, friends. you know, it is crazy. Yeah, it's it nice. is crazy. I never would have thought it like the three of us have never met, but we yeah. are best, best friends. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming now. I know. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so just hearing y'all, it's just like, ah, oh, my little heart. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Well, LP, you mentioned Faya. I wanted to talk about that because uh, speaking of Faya, the indomitable L.D. Lewis just announced that she's going to be stepping away from the magazine sometime next year. Um, and I noticed when she posted like her thread kind of announcing, it definitely feels like the end of an era, but there was a lot of excitement for Elle because she's going to be able to focus on her own writing so much more. Um, so I was curious for y'all, you know, how do you guys strike that balance between building community and lifting up others it's so time intensive? Um, and also pursuing your own personal writing goals. Let me run it back real quick because L.D. Lewis is a fire, right? No pun intended. She is a, <laughs> she's a beast with a pen. Mm -hmm. She's a force to be reckoned with. She has 37 jobs. And like, 
the idea that she'll be able to take a step back and spend more time on writing that like she can get this book to her agent like mm-hmm. she can do the things that she needs to do for herself because mm-hmm. none of us got into speculative fiction or writing because we wanted to do community work but we saw the need to do community work and none of us is like shied away from it but like there comes a point in which we all have to like take stock of how much we have capacity for um and so I'm super proud of her for like doing this thing starting this thing and being able because uh, you know entrepreneurs say you know your company isn't a company that runs well if the head leaves and it falls apart right mm-hmm. And I'm glad that she feels strong enough and fire that she can do that, that she can walk away and that the, the ship will keep running. Um, for me personally, going into 2022, is it 2022? Yeah. Into 2022, I decided that like I was going to divest myself of a lot of <laughs> the things that I needed to do for the community because, uh, you know, some of our peers who aren't as melanated as us, as us don't have to do as much to be visible like will people know who ld lewis was if she didn't you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Um, fire mm-hmm. run fire con do this that the third thing and then seven more you know what i'm saying like that's how she keeps her name out in front of people mm-hmm. like and i had to just look around and say i i can't do all of this and write and so that's been super important for me uh stepping back but it also takes a year and a half to divest so I just started the process in December and I probably won't be done to the middle of next year. I'm just, you know, just want to take a step back and focus on these things, these novellas and these short stories and these novels. Um, okay, so I wanted to pivot to asking about Blackness as a, um, not just the diaspora, but the continental Africans also. I, when I was at Voodoo Knots, it was really apparent to me quickly that we were, we came from such different places, all of us. We were from all over the world, and yet we still spoke this, like, similar, like, lyrical language. We all kind of, you could tell we were all, like, artists, and we were all, like, storytellers, the way we, (laughs) the way we were just, like, speaking to each other. but during Voodoo Knots, I remember someone mentioned that they'd never met a Black person from Appalachia. Um, for listeners who don't know, I'm from uh, East Tennessee. That was um, me. That I mean, it was you. It was, it was a few other people also. <laughs> a lot of people took, um, took me to the side and were like, you're from where? <laughs> and that's always interesting. Um, but it got me thinking that everyone was from different regions and the country and the world. And I'd like to discuss bringing people across the labyrinth of blackness together and why it's nice to commune with others who aren't necessarily from your hometown. Yeah, I think like the beauty of like bringing all these people from, you know, Caribbean, African countries, you know, we had South Americans um, as well, uh, is that we get to see like how many similarities and shared experiences we have. I remember there was like one activity that um, David Gilmore, the nonfiction editor at Deadlands, who taught at uh, Voodoo Nost this year, he made us do this activity where we had to um, write a recipe for Kool-Aid. And as somebody who grew up in Zimbabwe, you know, we don't have Kool-Aid in Zimbabwe, but the more, you know, I listen to David and other Americans like talk about what Kool-Aid is, I realized that we actually do have uh, Kool-Aid, we just call it Jolly Juice. Ah. So, you know, I was, you know, writing my recipe for Jolly Juice and it was really fun. And I think other people from like the Caribbean talked about, oh, yo, we have something similar, but, you know, it's a different name. So I think, you know, there's a lesson there that, you know, we like, yes, we experience our Blackness differently across the globe, but there's so many things that unite us and Voodoo Nuts wants to focus on, you know, those connections rather than uh, the differences. Yeah, I will very briefly add that I am deeply invested in Black internationalism and like just what it means to speak across borders to each other and to have to have the lines that block us just completely erased. <laughs> and yeah, there's so much when you actually are able to have to come to a space where there is no assumptions and you're coming to that space with vulnerability and with empathy, then there is more of a willingness to see the connections um, than to look at the differences, kind of like what Yvette just said. I, I think that we were able to do that so beautifully. And I think that that's because the our fellows came into the space and were willing to offer themselves in a vulnerable way and to, were willing to offer themselves with empathy. And I remember one of the things that we talked about is like, 
slightly is that we have such different relationships to whiteness in its immediacy um just because it's more it's more imperialist in some areas than it is like a physical thing that you encounter on the day-to-day -day. um thinking about in africa versus here for example um but then there is something about us being black that cannot be removed from our beings from our knowledge of ourselves as individuals and as a communal body <laughs> um and when we and we find that in the different names we have for similar foods and the different names we have for similar dances and the shared history that we can recall from our grandmother's stories and their grandmother's stories and you know they're just things that we remember collectively um that reminds us that we are part of each other ubuntu like yvette said and um i think storytelling is the best space to remember that and to practice what that means and what that is yeah i i feel like just the diversity within the space has made me like a better reader a better writer and a better person as somebody that didn't really like leave the country until uh an adult age i still feel that i you know i have so much to learn um about what's going on in the rest of the world particularly with black folks and um like every opportunity that i have to learn from somebody's authentic like true narrative from their own lips is is just like golden um we get exposed to different story structures different ways of moving through narrative and like I think that all of that is super gratifying for me in the moment, but then also it's like information I teach kids. So it's like I see it comporting with my pedagogical sort of philosophy and trying to at every step make sure that I'm an instructor that is leading the new generation of writers in breaking down like a lot of the hegemony that rules over like literature in our in our current day and i'm not able to do that as effectively without input from all these people with all of these magnificent like experiences and ways of being and thinking that i don't know how i would have been exposed to otherwise so um it's like so enriching <laughs> like like Shingai was saying earlier sometimes we leave we leave the fellowship and we're like, we can't believe that we just got to experience all of that, you know, like every, everything that we got out of it. Yeah, there were a lot of like really powerful moments. Remember the, by the end, we were like, we were all crying. But I, I definitely like what you said, um, Hugh, about just like exposure, because I didn't, I didn't realize obviously for a long time, but like growing up in um, a kind of insular community, in Appalachia I didn't realize it was insular which is like probably like a necessity of it being <laughs> insular but it wasn't until probably a few years ago that I realized oh not everyone knows these like folk tales not everyone knows this like local mythology and this like and the history of the area and like every other area has their own history and their own folk tales and their own mythology and like it's rooting off was a really was a, like a really like interesting way to physically see the expansion of like possibility and of like community that like physically seeing it of like I'm from Appalachia or people who were like Dara was in Germany or people in Norway or people and like it was just like seeing that the world is not just my little like hovel in <laughs> rural Appalachia. It's like the world is so big and our stories are so varied. Absolutely. I, I feel like I like, I'm just like a kid again when I hear about, like, I'd be asked, like, what are you doing in Norway? You know what I mean? Like, not like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, not what are you doing there, but like, literally, like, what are you doing there as a Black person on a day to day basis? Like, I'm just so curious and like, you know, when else am I going to have a chance to talk to somebody about that? So it feels like such a gift in that way. Like you said, man, y'all are a gift. Really, this like this is how I'm feeling right now. Just listen to y'all talking like I'm having that feeling right now. So, man, thank you, guys. I know we're not done, but I just want to say that. 
Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about like the community that you guys have built, but what about communities that, you know, maybe you came from in the past? Like, were there any experiences you had where like the community wasn't what you were hoping for, where maybe you had to leave that community? It wasn't serving you anymore. Like what lessons have you learned from previous experiences? Child, two of these founders are MFAs, you know damn well. <laughs> I know, I want to hear the stories, right? Yes. yes, give us the tea. Before they crank up on the establishment, I will get in and out of the way. <laughs> um, I am not an MFA person, um, but have moved around a lot for a lot of different reasons in life. And so I think by nature of that, been in different communities, uh, I organize on the ground with an abolitionist politics. So I'm usually touching down somewhere and finding black people immediately. Like that's kind of just the philosophy that presides over my life. Um, but I think that like, not only did organizing give me a very strong um, disposition toward trying to find folks that aren't getting what they need and then you know working and walking alongside them no matter where I go which is obviously transferable to uh, everything publishing related but specifically you know this this space that we're talking about but uh, organizing anything in community is difficult and there are like conflicts and there are uh, rifts and and all sorts of things that drive people apart after they've been pulled together. And I think that um, in all of the different spaces that I have stepped away from or felt the need to step away from, the more important lesson that I've learned is like how to manage through things that are really difficult in community and how to stay bonded despite those things. So like, I kind of see Blackness in publishing as one of those spaces there's a lot of false scarcity. There's a lot of like competition that is really just white supremacy pitting people against each other. We're all facing our own struggles as Black folks that are, uh, you know, challenged by all the isms. Um, but at the same time, like in the same hands, we're trying to hold joy and collaboration and love for one another. And um, I think that that's just a part of like what the lived experience is like to an extent for, for a lot of us is that it's gonna be hard and it's not gonna feel good sometimes, but um, that doesn't mean it's worth walking away from, um, so. Yeah, I'll just second that. I feel like there's community that I'm willing to fight for and there's community that I'm not willing to fight for. <laughs> and the community, if it's black, and brown and and lower income community, I will give one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, a thousand chances to get it right because there's so many things stacked against us from the beginning that it's it's so messy. <laughs> it's really, really hard because we're also dealing with hurt and trauma and like on a collective scale and on an individual scale. Um, and there has to be extended grace if we're going to work towards what 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 we're fighting for <laughs> what we're dreaming up what we're afro futurizing what we're afro surrealing like that's if if we're dreaming for that we have to work for it too and that work is is fighting for the community even when it's hard and when it's messy um but there are other community spaces <laughs> that are not that I'm giving more to than it's giving to me and those are mostly institutions and community spaces which um have me in them or have us in them for the sake of diversity and it's like diversity according to who from whose perspective <laughs> um and I think I've just learned over the last few years institutions will consistently fail me um and i just i find what i need to survive through that space and usually ironically it's finding another community that will sustain me through the hurt of of what i haven't been having access to in institutional spaces yvette yeah um so just echoing that you know the thing about these white spaces is that 
you know, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes uh, with it. You know, you don't know if people are like, you know, looking at you like, oh, you're here to fill, you know, the diversity quota. And you kind of have this like paranoia. Um, and, you know, I've been asked in workshops to provide, you know, glossaries for my work to explain, you know, my culture and language and things like that. So with Voodoo Nods, it's, you know, refreshing to not have to explain yourself, to not have to question whether you belong, whether you're here for the diversity quota, you know, whether your work is valued and respected. Um, and, you know, Voodoo Nods kind of like a response to the whiteness of these spaces that we've uh, experienced, you know, before Voodoo Nods, you know, where we were like, you know, fuck these institutions, uh, we need a space for just us, um, where you're not questioning whether you have, you know, a, a right or whether you, you know, don't belong and whether like your work is uh, valuable and respected. And there are lots of places where I have, my work has been workshopped and then I'll send it to a vet for a second opinion or LP or you, the Voodoo Nuts chat. And I'll just be like, and they will give me feedback that makes me realize, oh yeah, this was that workshop. <laughs> there was something off there. That was their, your racism is showing. Uh, and Yvette is the one who taught me <laughs> that I don't have to italicize my language, which was something that was such a huge deal when I first entered the MFA because everyone was asking for the definitions of, of the words that weren't in English. Yeah, so having your community is really, really important. <laughs> Google continues to be free, despite the fact that people refuse right? to use it. It is <laughs> so wild to me. We have, we have like, you have centuries of reading, like, <clears throat> this makes me angry, Shakespeare. Shakespeare is not an English that we understand. In fact, when I read Shakespeare, there were notes to the right to explain what the hell was being said, right? <laughs> or you had to read it 13 times to make sure you, or I, my ADHD ass, had to read it 13 times to <laughs> make sure I got, you know, the meaning that was intended, right? And so we can, we can, we can force ourselves to figure that out, to sit with it long enough to, to figure that out. Now we all have a phone a computer, an entire internet in our pocket, and we don't want to do that work. And when I say we, I don't mean, because what I'm really saying is, like, if I can't catch it from a context clue, then I can look it up. But some people just aren't willing to look it up. They're not willing to have that context clue because, you know, they've already checked out because we're Black. Mm. And that's not, that's not for us to workshop. Like, other people's unwillingness to, to engage with our work is not for us to workshop. And I haven't had a workshop leader yet who workshops those biases but you know it's yeah if you can you know learn high valerian elvish you know Dutch Listen. Then you can figure out what high valerian. <laughs> if you can uh spell daenerys targaryen you can get a guy one of the things that I actually I struggled with with community was to your point actually Hugh was feeling was uh believing this false narrative that only a few of us can make it there's only a few spots so and I I do it took me a long time to realize that that was like a tool of like white supremacy to so that we're fighting each other instead of like fighting the system and fighting oppression and so I've over the past few years I've had to like constantly remind myself like community is important to me and there's enough room for everybody and I think that for a long time I I felt like I don't want to be friends with a whole lot of black people in the writing community honestly because I felt I felt like there was only a few spots available for us so we can be friends but like if only one of us is going to get into this anthology, it's going to be me like <laughs> for it. So, and, and that's, why, that's why spaces like Faya are so important. That's why Black anthologies are so important mm -hmm. because on the one side, like, and, and take it all the way back to Sheree Renee, Sheree Renee Thomas in 2000, who edited uh, Dark Matter because people kept telling her that like black people didn't read science fiction and black people don't write science fiction. So there's no reason to, to feature this. And then the tome comes out and it's a doorstopper and it's beautiful. All the stories in it are beautiful. We discover all these black writers or in some cases writers who we might've been following and it turns out they are black, you know what I'm saying? And so, but like, up until that point, everyone had been like, oh, well, you know, there's not a place for that. And the same with FIRE, Black people were not getting 
published in magazines. And the conversation was like, well, there aren't people publishing or there's not quality. And so Fire showed up with Black people and quality and continues to show up with Black people and quality. And so now Omanana, Omanana is a, a magazine uh, on the continent that features only Black people as well. And like the quality, it's there, it's there. So when people say like, you know, I don't, that's that's also a part of the reason why it's so important to have Black editors uh, at the publishers. It's also important to have Black agents. So uh, I have the opportunity to talk with an agent and uh, it's just a different conversation when the agent is Black and they know that like getting Black work into the field is going to be work. And they, when they say, I'm, I'm here for that fight. That's a struggle that I'm signing up for. You know, all agents aren't like, all agents aren't trying to fight for black people, let alone black work. You know, you're gonna continue to get the, oh, you know, I didn't really connect with the voice. I was like, but you connect with Shakespeare. Oh, okay, great. And what the hell was he talking about? You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> <back so. laughs> nah, Beatrice, I, I like, I think, you know, when you're doing any type of, like liberatory thinking right there's always these like things that we attach radical to that then hopefully kind of shift our perspectives like radical rest and like we don't have to be super grind culture all the time or like radical honesty with ourselves and with our others and I think one of the things about community that I had to like start learning and then implementing in my life was like radical patience um like specifically with black folks who are in that place that so many of us have been where it feels like it's three spots. These are not my homies. I'm finna go get one. I don't care what nobody else thinks, right? Like, because I'll talk to people now who feel that way. And I could either understand that they're in a certain place that they've been pushed to and still do my best to be supportive or I could not be patient with them and then lose somebody else like on the journey that we're ultimately all walking the same path. It just happened. I, I met somebody um, on a group camping trip that I didn't know and found out that she was a writer. She doesn't know any other writers, talked, had the whole conversation. Two days later, I found her a critique partner and she's on her way to like finishing this manuscript that she's been working on. And she was like, why? why did you help me? Like, why are you helping me? You don't know me. You've never even read my work. And it's like, because I know where you are. Like, I can stand where I'm at and look and see you where you're at. And I know what it feels like to be there. And when you get to whatever point that's a step beyond where you are now, you'll turn around and look at where you used to be and you'll do the same thing for somebody else that was there. But it just takes that patience and that like, that willingness to be that for 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 each other. And also just acknowledging, like you said, Hugh, that people have done this shit for us. <laughs> like, I'm not here because I am the most special writer of all time. I'm here because there are people who have worked to get me here as much as I've also put in the work in a lot of ways. They're the community that has held me the writers, the black writers who came before me, who whose work I read, and I was like, oh, this is possible. Like I can do this. That's <laughs> that's given me permission. And that is directly counter to the idea that there's only so much space. Because the only so much space says that they've gotten there, so there's not enough space for me to get there. And what we're saying is they've gotten there, so I can get there. And so when I get there, like that gives, I'm, I'm creating, I'm hoping that that allows and gives people permission to also be held and supported enough to get to those spaces and to create the worlds that they want to create as black speculative fiction writers. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Nice. Y'all done got the two emotional yeah. people talking now. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all done got the feels coming up. Wait, am I not one of the emotional people? <laughs> You trying to do this on air? <laughs> I'm I'm here for the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, since uh, LP mentioned uh, black anthologies, I just wanted quickly uh, to plug the Voodoo Knots anthology uh, that we edited. It has you know work with stories and poems from our first class of fellows, 
and it's coming out uh, this November. Y'all, well, this episode of this conversation has been a bomb for my soul. And I imagine that a lot of our listeners will feel the same way. Um, and a lot of them will end the podcast, put down their phone and then be like, well, where's my community, right? How do I, how do I do this? So I guess I'm wondering if you guys have any advice or, you know, words of encouragement for listeners to our podcast might be searching right now for their own writing community. One of the ways in which I've created community uh, is when, this is just my social media thing that I do, when there's good news on Twitter, I retweet, period, point blank. If they're Black, I comment under it. And then, you know, we'll just see how it goes after that. There's sometimes you read a book by somebody and you love it and you proselytize. And every time it comes across your mind, you talk about it again. I have the good fortune of meeting Micaiah Johnson, who wrote The Space Between Worlds, which is a sapphic multidimensional uh, caper. And if you haven't read it, get on your shit. And I have the chance to meet Carol Turnbull, uh, who I also love to call Kamara Turnbull, uh, who wrote No Gods, No Monsters, which I also loved. And, um, you know, I've decided that they're my friends. And so they just have to catch up. I love it's definitely that. me and Karen Strong. We are friends. <laughs> you will <Just> love me. <laughs> I will comment on all of your tweets about writing. I'll do it. I'm really trying to be friends with River Solomon because I've taught their mm. books so much. <laughs> yeah. And DMing people always work. I met Shingai through DMing, uh, you through DMing. Did you DM me? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Or maybe not the other way around. Somebody DM'd someone. Oh no, you DM me because I had a Zimbabwean name. Ah, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So Shingai is a catfish. She always catfishes uh, the Zimbabweans because of her name. She has a lot of Zimbabwean friends. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so just shoot your shot in the DMs. Got it. Yes. I, okay, hold on, hold on. Not shoot your shot, but like, you know. <laughs> Your not friend that, shot. Not, not every shot. <laughs> okay, look, because like the DMs will get spicy and like, you know, Hugh has a has a thirst trap career that like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's thriving it's just, though. It's just for the gram. Oh, wow, <laughs> just, this is what we're going to do. Trap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's just for the gram, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, look. Okay. Drop it. <laughs> <sighs> well, here we are. <laughs> um, I was going to say, and I don't want to speak for everybody else, but I think like in the spirit of just the type of people that we are, and then definitely specifically speaking for myself, like if you're a black writer and you're wondering how to find your community, like come find me, come find us. Like we'll put you in touch. We'll tell you whatever we know. We'll do whatever we can within our capacity, within our knowledge, within our ability to to get you plugged in. And like, the beautiful thing about really committing and investing into being in community in a genuine way with other people is that it's not going to start and end with us. So like, you know, it sounds like I'm making a big promise, but I, I assure you it's, it's no sweat to me to meet somebody online, to be like, Hey, look, I'm gonna send you that information in the next week and connect you with this person because it's just going to pro- proliferate on itself. Um, the more that, that you put into it. So, if you need something, then come holler at us. And just follow these faces that we've been talking about. Faya, um, FireCon, hopefully next year. Omenana, the magazines that are publishing Black work. Follow the writers who you see, who, you, who give you permission and reach out to them. That's, I think that's how you grow the community. Once you insert yourself in those spaces too and, and just ask, like, I wanna be part of this community. One of my favorite sayings is um, there's no mind readers here. So if you need something, yes. you have to ask for it. So let's uh, pivot to our wrap up question. Uh, so what's coming up for each of y'all on the writing horizon for 2023? Q. <laughs> oh, okay, mom. Uh, <laughs> um, so I have my debut middle grade novel coming out November 8th from Random House. It's uh, the first in the Futureland trilogy. So holla at your local indie, um, grab that wherever you grab your books at. It should be a fun read, fun time. And I really appreciate y'all support. It'll be out by the time the episode drops. So if you don't already have it, then go scoop it. If you already have it, thanks for the love. Um, The second, book in the Futureland trilogy will actually come out 
2023, probably like the latter part of the year. So um, yeah, I say just if you dig the first one and watch the space, there'll be more stuff coming right behind it. I have other projects that um, are already on paper, but uh, yeah, the two most immediate things are, are Future Land 1 and 2. But yeah, my debut short story collection is coming out uh, next month. It's called Drinking from Grave at Wells, and it explores the magical and impossible lives of African women using, you know, horror, Afro-surrealism, and fantasy. Uh, you can pre-order it right now at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever books are sold, and request it at your local library, because that's important. Uh, and I'm also working on an epic fantasy novel inspired by um, a pre-colonial Southern African kingdom, so I'm excited about uh, that as well. I don't, I don't have anything coming in the next year. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Uh, I'm, I have a bunch of writing to finish up after coming home from Clarion. Um, I have novellas to work on. I have novels to work on. So like, you're just gonna have to, but today, today, my story Wanderlust, it came out at the end of last month and it in, is in uh, Alex uh, Brown's uh, must read short fiction for August, uh, which is super exciting. I mean, there was some really great people, uh, uh, specifically black people, black women or black people, Black people, let's say Black people. Andrea Issa Richardson uh, is also in that roundup, which is super cool. Uh, India is actually part of my Mona cohort, uh, and we study with Tanana Reeve-Dew. So check the stories. There's another story coming out from podcasts before the end of the year, potentially, and I just found out who is narrating the story, and it's Brent Lambert, and I'm so excited. I did not know until, like, he and I were just chatting. He's like, oh, and I finished the narration for the thing. I was like, Negro, what? <laughs> Nobody told me you're gonna you're gonna get the gay black so right. So I'm I'm very excited about that. So that's gonna happen before this comes out. But you know you can always go back and listen. Well, we have Budenots coming up in the next year, so pay attention to that. Um, and we also be teaching in different spaces. Like we be teaching online for Clarion West sometimes, and classes will pop up um, from everyone here. Hugh has did another class this summer, which. I don't know if it will happen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we all teach everywhere. Um, Catapult, uh, Clarion West. Uh, I taught at the Common this summer, which is for young writers. But yeah, if you know any young writers and want to send them to a space, then that'll be great. Ten House, like Yvette is saying. Um, so keeping up with like our, I guess, individual feeds would be a great way to. Uh, not only keep up with us if, if you're so inclined, but um, to get plugged into a lot of other stuff that we signal boost and share and, and try to use to help people stay connected. And I'm working on my first full-length novel, too, uh, which is also a reinterpretation of African history that is deeply anti-colonial and um, spiritual in all the ways and by the time this episode airs i will be done i am manifesting yeah I was like, <laughs> yes. like the confidence yes yes actually can we go back because there's a thing that we need to talk about shigai oh okay be kind of shigai what's the thing that oh is it <laughs> my novella getting nominated for the what's your novella called and this is how to stay alive what's the name of the publisher <laughs> my novella and this is how to stay alive by um neon hemlock hemlock um came out last year so if anyone wants to check that out it also got nominated for the british fantasy awards and the ignite awards oh, Jesus. <laughs> This is like real time, like media yeah. training. And, and yeah. he had to pull that out of you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, it's the fight for me. <laughs> LP is always getting me to gas myself up. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. So Shingai is very much anti-exceptionalism. And like, I respect that about her as a praxis. But there's a version of it where like, we have peers who are not anti-exceptionalism and they're like actually trash. And so it's like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a version of it where you can not think of yourself as like the shit just because you showed up, but also recognizing that your work is affecting people. And that is exceptional, right? Because like, 
everyone didn't get nominated for it in that award. Everyone didn't get nominated for a British Fantasy Award. So we have to like, we have to give that the weight that it deserves. Even if you as a person aren't exceptional in your own eyes, I think you're exceptional personally. I, you know, me, you the bomb.com, you shit. <laughs> yeah, bitch, you know what I'm saying? But like, if you don't feel that way about yourself, that's fine. But you have to feel that way about your work because there are people who will campaign for themselves. There are people who will tilt the scales in their favor while you're feeling weird about talking about your work and you can't, you, and, and their work might not be great. <laughs> it might not even be okay, but like they can make it onto a list because they're doing that thing. And so I want to just encourage everyone to like, you know, even if you don't feel like it, you know, anytime someone says something nice about a story that I wrote, I retweet it. Because I'm just like, I retweet it. I say thank you because, you know, I don't, that way I don't have to talk about my work. It makes it a little easier for me. And I want to encourage everybody to do that too, because no one's going to proselytize for you. That's a great practice. That is great. Yes. Yes. Man, I also, gotta we got to learn to be better at that. We got to fill these 2023 Voodoo Nas fellowship seats. All right. So, shit, guy, we need to be able to put your accomplishments on the forefront. You know what I'm saying? Everybody will flock in. You know, we need that. <laughs> I think you'll be in really good shape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's going to be so good. Like this, if we start, we've already started conversations about the next anthology and we can't really say anything because nothing's firm. But like, if we, we're in a really good place because our first anthology, we only had 25 fellows. Um, and we reached out to a bunch of people to solicit. All the people who ended up on the TOC are Black people in Scotland. Like of the solicited folks, they're, they're, Three black people in Scotland. I was like, I don't know how that worked out. We'll take it. It's fine. But like in the next year, you know, there's going to be like 75 to 80 people who will be able to submit. That's going to be super exciting. And I just want to say this is why you have community because they be they be getting your work out there when you don't have it in you to do it yourself, <laughs> and they, they teach you how to do it for yourself too. <laughs> yeah, y'all gotta watch out for Future Land because that's that's the next thing. Like he was the only one of us who. Uh, is uh traditionally published and or will be traditionally published and like we're super excited and super proud of him and Hughes Hughes journey is a different one because he was self-published before he was traditionally published so like this is like a kind of a come to Jesus moment so we're super proud of him we're super excited for this book to come out and for everyone to lose their shit about it because that's a thing that needs to happen think about your ballots think about them now Oh man, thank you guys so much for talking with us. This has been such a great conversation. I, I feel like there's so much more to even get at. Yeah, I wish we we'll had more time. Have you guys back on again. Yeah, for real. There's so much more. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to make sure we'll have you guys on. Ooh. on Ooh. Okay, now. All right. <laughs> What do okay. we even, what do we have? You want, make, making promises. Just making promises. I don't even care though. I don't even care. I'm there. I'll do it. Okay. So yeah, we'll make sure to have all of your um, socials and websites in our show notes. Um, and links to all of the, everything we mentioned, future mm-hmm. land, uh, drinking, everything. Well, links to everything. Thank yeah. you so much for having us. This was lovely. Really appreciate appreciate you. Yeah. Thank y'all. So as always, thanks for listening, y'all. If you haven't already, follow us on Afronauts Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. To support the production of this podcast, you can find us on Afronauts Pod on Ko-fi or check the link in our Twitter profile. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and review.